Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. It's Liz Loza and Scott Pianowski joining you this week. Um... Scott, I think we should just get right to it. Uh, You live in Detroit, but are a big New England fan. There was a little bit of news, just a tiny little nugget that kind of went off, uh, much like the fireworks that are constantly exploding in America these days. Um, That is both metaphorical and literal. Uh, A little news nugget that Cam Newton is now part of the New England Patriots. Yeah, we've seen this move all throughout the Belichick era that they love to take a player when he gets on in his career and he comes to like a prove it point that fork in the road, you know, it's worked out many times, you know, Rodney Harrison, Corey Dillon, Randy Moss famously had that monster 2007 season, some good seasons after that. doesn't always work out. Um, you know, they kicked the tires on Chad Ochocinco didn't work out. Um, Albert Hainsworth was a flop, uh, drilled Revis, previously had that one-year prove it deal, and he was great. And I think they went to the Super Bowl with Revis. So, you know, they waited out the Newton thing. I, I, I wonder why it took so long to do it, but maybe Newton wasn't ready to sign the kind of contract that he just signed, which is a very affordable deal. It's filled with incentives. And um, this is actually this – I don't know that we're going to fully agree on this. I think what the Patriots did actually parallels nicely to what I think fantasy owners should do which is if the market allows you a really nice price on Newton and you can get in with, with little risk, maybe you already have a starter or you're in a league where it's easy to find a replacement on the wire. If you need one, I actually like Newton under those circumstances. Uh, He is not a proactive pick for me though. In fantasy, not, not right now. Anyway, I think that's completely fair when you are noticing the depth at the position, let us just in case people don't know about the deal. Ian Rappaport reported on Sunday that this is a bare minimum deal. Also, curiously, it'll be interesting how they've shuffled the funds around in New England because I believe the Patriots only had about a million dollars worth of cap space before making this deal. Uh, You're absolutely right that historically it is in line with what the franchise has done. And there is no, this is a, this should not have to be stated, but needs to be all the same. Cam Newton has not been named the team starter. There is a theoretical competition between himself and Jared Stidham. It'll be interesting to see if Ryan Hoyer is, you know, on the on the team at the end of all of this. But um, in terms of fantasy, I feel like what I'm hearing from you is similarly to the approach you're taking with another veteran, oft injured quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. 
Yeah, I'm actually more excited about Roethlisberger because I see pieces in Pittsburgh that could drag him, mm-hmm. you know, um, Juju off a kind of a lost season. But he's very talented. Obviously, Deontay Johnson was part of a loaded rookie class of receivers. Uh, I, I think James Conner is actually interesting where, where he's falling in ADP right now. I just see a lot of guys on this Pittsburgh offense I like. The problem that Newton's going to have is the problem I think Tom Brady had. Just I, I always look, I, I posed this question on Twitter a couple of days ago. What team in the NFL would would want to switch all their skill players, all their receivers, tight ends, and running backs with the Patriots? What team would would look at Sony Michelle and you know the the aging Julian Edelman and the collection of we'll wait and see tight ends that the Patriots have? You know, they they traded a number two for Muhammad Sanu last year. What team would say, yeah, you know what? I, I prefer those skill guys. Let's let's just do a full swap. And I, I don't think there's any team out there. You've talked about this. I, I know you mentioned this on Twitter a few days ago. I think a real big piece of this New England offense, a real key player is Nikhil Harry. Now, you know, last year was an unbelievable year for rookie receivers, and he didn't get involved in that. He was hurt, and then you know, he had some growing pains. He, he wasn't that effective when he finally got to play, but he was on the field so little, it's hard to take that much from it. Remember, he was a first-round pick last year, and in a year where just rookie receivers, whether it, the draft capital guys hit and then the guys in the middle rounds, a lot of them hit, and, and even people who went as late as Darius Slayton, another Auburn football player, he had a really nice year with the Giants. It seemed like all these rookie receivers were going crazy. And Nikhil Harry, the Patriots' first first-round receiver since Terry Glenn back in the mid-90s, couldn't get on the field and really didn't do much when he played. I think he's a really key person on this offense. It could maybe be the difference between it being a solid offense, an offense you want to invest in in fantasy, and maybe just one of the five or six uh, least appealing for fantasy. I still think they'll be a decent team because the coaching, the defense, and all that. But I need to see a receiver here that can scare defenses. You know, Edelman is what he is into an age 34 season. I think Harry is a pivotal player on this offense. I, I mean, I love that point that you made up. Um, I, you didn't make it up, but I love that point that you made. I'll make stuff up. <laughs> Don't put it past me. Um, yes, I did say that people should embrace the breakout. Now, there are obvious caveats, as with anything else. Um, Harry, as you mentioned, started the season on IR. I think he's more famous for having been yelled at by Tom Brady for not connecting, but also how much, especially in this offseason, have you and I discussed continuity, rapport, chemistry. If a player, a rookie, is not with first-round draft pedigree, as you mentioned, is not on the field and able to get those reps with the star of the show, then it would make sense that he was ineffective, right? Like, it would make sense that he didn't pop because he hasn't been on the field. He hasn't been developing rapport, chemistry, continuity, etc., and so when I look at the player himself, I think, yes, well, Bill Belichick likes him. So that's something there's, there's, you know, a, a plenty of prestige in that he's large. He is not fast. People love to mention that he is not fast, but, he, and he has trouble separating, but he's an incredible player in contested situations. And I feel like we've seen Cam Newton make a perhaps slow, but physical, long, tall receiver fantasy relevant in times past yeah you're thinking of calvin benjamin for, for one yeah, yeah who was Devin um, Funchess, why Funchess not? is another guy and that was the thing with newton right is even you know he had some good years and some bad years with carolina famously only three winning seasons of course wins are you know, more of a team stat than a, than a uh, quarterback stat but you know, he was an mvp one year he did lead a team to a super bowl and, and he goes to new england he's got he has no favorite receiver right now he's got no mm-hmm. goodwill built up with anybody so why couldn't it be harry um, I also just pivoting back to Newton for a second. I know Andy Barron's our colleague made this point and a lot of other people have probably made it too. 
if you do step into Newton this year for fantasy, I think you, you have to hang your hat on the idea that he's going to be a proactive runner, that he's going to run for somewhere between 350 and 500 yards. And more importantly, this team doesn't have an obvious guy at the goal line. You know, Michelle's piled up some touchdowns here and there. There's a guy who's got a, a really long injury list. Uh, just a, a guy I worry about because he was hurt all, all during his Georgia career and he's had injury problems in the NFL. James White is, as we know, a satellite player, a specialty guy, a third down player, very, very handy player and, and probably useful in PPR leagues. But you don't think of James White as being the guy they, they want to use at the goal line. We'll see if Damian Harris, much like Harry, didn't do much as a rookie. We'll see if maybe he can step forward. But it's not that big of a leap of faith to think that maybe Cam Newton can be the de facto goal line back. It, maybe he has a a four to six touchdown season, maybe even more on the ground in him. And we, we've seen it many times before. If Cam Newton's going to be an active runner, you don't really have to be all that great as a passer. If you're going to have that baseline of, you know, again, say 400 rushing yards, five or six touchdowns, that would make him a good fantasy player, almost irrespective of how well he's throwing the ball. I don't think anyone is drafting Cam Newton for his arm at this point. Obviously it's the mobility and coming off of a list, Frank, injury, that mobility is obviously of major concern. I mean, 2019 was another lost season. It's interesting because we're talking about Nikhil Harry, Damian Harris, Cam Newton. These are all players with lost 2019s, hoping to be relevant in what is globally very much a lost year of 2020. But when I look at Damian Harris, for example, I have a few, I like him as a breakout player. I'm taking him deep into the double digit rounds. Uh, for the points you mentioned, Sony Michelle not able to stay healthy, although not particularly explosive, not good at grinding uh, through the tackles, between the tackles. We've seen him struggle. Uh, yes, there's an incredible offensive line in New England, a solid offensive line. And we know that James White has great PPR value, but also in part because Tom Brady trusted him. Mm -hmm. Tom Brady advocated for him. He was a Super Bowl hero for Tom Brady. And now you're absolutely right that that is all washed away. Um I think that Damian Harris, if I am picking any running back out of this backfield, has the most potential and upside and the one that I would most likely want to roster because of his ability to be multiple. We saw him strive and, and uh, thrive as a pass catcher in his last year at Alabama. I believe him to be kind of a B-plus running back who's good and you know, better than a Hammenegger, by no means that, but kind of a jack-of-all-trades but a master of none. And in this offense... While I expect if Cam's mobility is back, he'll be vultured at the goal line, there will also be additional holes opened up for him, which is something we see with mobile quarterbacks in tandem with running backs all the time. Yeah, that's the gift and the curse with the mobile running back. On one hand, you, you get the wider field and you get more running lanes, but then you worry about that quarterback taking the touchdowns away. But generally, it can be a good thing for a running game. And I think it's important with, with Harris. I mean, if you look, anybody who's done any fantasy drafting already this year, if you've gotten over to Yahoo and done some best ball drafting or, or one of your leagues maybe drafts early, you see that first round, second round. It's just an avalanche of running backs. Yeah. And I, this is about as fantasy has always been dominated by running backs as long as I've been playing. But this is as running back heavy an early part of the draft as I've ever seen. And while making the right picks there or, you know, figuring out what you're going to do in the first couple of rounds, it's always going to be important. And those picks are, are going to be weighty and have a big impact on how you do. But you have to have a list. I don't know, five names, eight names, 12 names. You have to have a list of people who you think could be difference-making running backs who are going to go later. And so it's just important to know that Harris is out there. And, it, you know, if you like Harris and you want to put him on that list of yours, that's fine. You know, maybe you, you have a different guy in mind. But 
you have to have an idea of, okay, who, who are my targets in round 11, round 12, round 13? You know, who are my cheap tight ends? Who am I? We'll see you know, lottery ticket running backs in a murky backfield, which I think this backfield could easily become murky. It's probably murky already. You know, some people may say that Belichick, any Belichick backfield kind of has a, an element of murkiness. So, you know, Harris is a guy, I think fantasy players need to know it used to be you need to know who a starter was and you need to know who a backup was. Now, with the usage is so spread out and striated in the NFL, a lot of times we need to know three or four running backs on a team, especially if we think the team is going to be, you know, the Patriots have a good defense. Their win over under total is still nine or nine and a half. So we, people think they're still going to be a good team, maybe not one of the major Super Bowl contenders, but a team that could challenge for a playoff berth, probably right around favorite status in that division. Uh, depending on how you feel about the Buffalo Bills. So, I, you know, I think people, it's it's incumbent on people to see the plausible upside of a player like Harris. I'm going to ask you where you move Cam Newton to in your rankings. I haven't looked. I wanted you to tell me live so all the reactions could be organic. Uh, but I also am wondering, is you're slightly off topic as you're talking, not, you're not slightly off topic, but I'm thinking off topic. Who is that list of five? Like, I'm, I agree with you, and that is something that I've done in drafts. The problem, right, with these mocks, though, I have to say, is that, like, I keep drafting the same guys over and over, and I have to remind myself to not, even if a guy that I like is available, to be like, no, 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 you know what happens when you take that guy. Let's experiment. Let's let's um, move away from the favorites. But Damian Harris is obviously one of mine. I like Antonio Gibson a lot, too, late. The, um, the new hybrid back, I guess you could say, in Washington for, he is a nice upside um, in my estimation. Who are some of those other players quickly before we go back to camp for you? Well, I'll, I'll name one guy who's presumably a starter who, who probably is a little bit of a different classification, but I find myself getting a lot of Jordan Howard. I, I know everybody sure. loves Matt Breida and then look, I pounded the Breida drum as much as anybody, but you know, I think people focus a lot of times on what Howard can't do and ignore what he can do. He's probably going to have a two down role on a Miami team. That's on the upswing. I, I believe in the job that Brian Flores is doing there. And it was a really fun offense at the end of last season. I mean, we, we saw they, they finally got Mike Gusecki going and Devontae Parker was finally you know un, unscratched and all that. So I think that could maybe be a fun offense and a team that challenges for maybe seven or eight wins. And, and Howard, because he doesn't have a great upside, I think people ignore that he has a very tangible floor. He's been a guy I've been getting a lot of. Uh, Zach Moss in Buffalo, it's a little dicey. Before because- you go on to Zach Moss, I just want to tell you that I, I completely agree with you mm-hmm. on Jordan Howard. And I also think, you know, we didn't see Preston Williams for the entire season. And when you think about the number of targets available to whichever quarterback ends up finishing the year in Miami, and you've got a field stretcher like Williams, and you have Devontae Parker, and you've got Gasecki being used as a weapon out of the slot, basically. Now you have some players that defenses need to respect. Now you don't necessarily need a check down running back a la Kyle Shanahan's playbook every single week, right? The 49ers have a relatively shallow wide receiver core, especially now that Emmanuel Sanders isn't there. And so now you can just have your goal line grinder. He doesn't need to be, um, it's a nice floor play. And he's also been a great goal line back for numerous years. I get, I think the journeyman, um, it's an unfair reputation to call him a journeyman. Yes, he's on his, what, third team, fourth team now in um, since the beginning of his career. But Matt Burita is also a player who was never allotted, per Kyle Shanahan, a full workload because of durability concerns, you know? So 
I, I love that point. And I think when you are looking for those higher floor players, especially in the later rounds at the volatile position of running back, he's Scott, I like this is fun. I like when we agree. Let's we're probably not gonna agree on everything, but let's enjoy this moment. No, we certainly won't agree on everything, but it is nice when we're in the same corner. And also Brita, I think he fell a little bit out of favor with Shanahan at the end of his time in San Francisco because he had some ball security issues and you know, coaches are, are just not gonna stand for that. I, I do like Zach Moss in Buffalo. It's a little bit tricky because we know Singletary is a good player who's going to have a role, and maybe Josh Allen's their goal line back. So that could smother the upside a little bit. But I still think Moss has a decent chance to lead that team in rushing touchdowns. And and even though in Indianapolis, look, I mean, they, they had a decent back last year in Mac. They obviously drafted Taylor. But I still think Naheem Hines could lead this team in receptions out of the backfield. And, and we saw Phillip Rivers love to check down to Eckler last year. At some point. Now, great. Eckler can run routes. You could run proactive plays to him, but he was a great plan B, plan C when a play didn't work out. And I, I can just see. And also, you know, they've talked up Hines. Um, Frank Reich has talked about him. And, and I know that a lot of coach speak has to go in one ear and out the other. But I think Reich's a guy who actually tells the truth more than most coaches. And when he was talking of Hines, I'll admit, I, I took the bait. I moved him up four or five slots on my PPR list. Well, and I think that Hines hasn't been exposed to people as much because his usage has been relatively low and or sporadic in times, um, but he is a pass-catching back. He has a great satellite space sort of third-down option, and when you, I, I trust that Frank Wright knows what to do for Phillip Rivers, and obviously in the Colts believe that they are in this tight window of one to two years with Rivers, and if you look at their drafts, they pound in positions of need on the offensive side of the ball immediately with their first two picks. So there's a lot of capital invested in making Philip Rivers work. So why not give him another player that will help him stabilize and ultimately succeed? And I, I think you're right that Frank Reich is flexible and proactive enough in that regard. He's not as stodgy as some might believe, you know, that he's, he's not the same. He's not Marvin Lewis. who has been with the team for 15 years and, running out the same playbook week in and week out. I'm, I'm a believer in Reich. I mean, he had his fingerprints were all over the year that Philadelphia won the Super Bowl. And remember, Absolutely. that was, you know, with, with Foles forced to play at the end of the year. I mean, Wentz is probably the MVP that year if he doesn't get hurt. And then they have to transition to Foles. And he, he plays really poorly at first, but they, they had him up to speed by the end of that playoff run. And, of course, he was just about letter perfect in the Super Bowl. And then Reich's first year in Indianapolis was, was really favorable. And then last year, I mean, look, I mean, Andrew Luck retired right before the season. And I, I think Jacoby Brissett was always a, a quality backup. I, I thought they maybe could have done a little bit better with Brissett, but a lot of things went wrong in Indianapolis last year that I don't hold against Reich. I still think it's a team that's very smartly run. I really like their GM. I mean, every one of their draft picks two years ago made the team. You almost never see that. And I think Reich gets it. I think Reich, Reich, Reich gets it as a person. I mean, he's had a lot of interesting things to say about the the climate in America right now. And I think he understand. I think he can relate to players. I think people want to play for Reich, and I, I can't deny the X's and O's, his understanding of how, how to call plays and how to mold. You know, he's a guy. I think the best coaches, the bad coaches, say this is my scheme. Players have to fit it. I That's think the right. best coaches say, well, okay, who, what's my talent here, and what scheme would best utilize the talent I have? I think Reich is one of those coaches. Well, so is Bill Belichick into. Uh, and to that end, I would say Josh McDaniels as well. So that brings us back to Cam Newton. I'm hearing people on Twitter say like, oh, but Cam's not a good fit for the Pat style offense. Well, I, I think that if we're willing to give Frank Reich the benefit of the doubt, then certainly Bill Belichick has earned that. And Josh McDaniels, you know, 
I have not dug into the analytics or numbers surrounding this, but I do remember him being a little bit fond of a little player who was mobile named Tim Tebow, who couldn't really throw. And so there does seem to be some excitement. And Bill Belichick has gone on the record, I believe it was in 2017, saying that uh, Cam Newton was one of the most, uh, one of the hardest uh, quarterbacks to scheme against because of his excellent mobility. So Yes, we are relying on Cam to be healthy. And when you look at the what's invested for the Patriots in this deal, the risk was certainly the, so low that any reward was gravy. Right. Just a one-year deal. They got in inexpensively. Yeah. And at least with Cam, we obviously need him to be healthy to, to play the type of football that we need him to play, which is a lot of running, a lot of scrambling, a lot of physical punishment that he takes on. But I guess the positive thing is that look, look. I mean, he he basically redshirted last year. He played two games and then never played again. So he's had we're coming up on like nine or ten months to, to get his mind right, to get his body right. And so I, I would think there's a look. You, you never know when the the mileage is going to catch up on somebody, and when somebody plays as physically as Newton has and has taken the hits, and then some people would say unfairly taken the hits because it it takes a lot to get a personal foul against Cam Newton. It, it's kind of like the Shaq syndrome. If you're the biggest guy on the field, for some reason, uh, the officials don't feel bad for you. And a lot of times people have laid the lumber on Newton and, and you think the flag's going to fall and it hasn't. But at least you know, he basically missed all of 2019. He played two games. He's had all that time to recuperate. I think he's getting a change of scenery at the right time. I mean, you know, it was time for Ron Rivera to move on. It was time for Cam Newton to move on. They have new ownership there. They have a new GM there and all that stuff. So I think it's, I think it's a good time for Cam Newton to get his head straight and he's going to a team with great coaching infrastructure. And it's not just Belichick. If you ever go, go to a list sometime of all the NFL offensive coordinators and you see the turnover, it's like year one or two years for almost every team they turn over because either the coordinator doesn't do a good job and they fire him or he does do a good job and he becomes attractive enough to get a head coach or a coaching job or, you know, what he leverages that for a different opportunity. And there's very few teams. I mean, the Saints have had the same offensive coordinator forever. And of course they have Sean Payton. Uh, you know, Andy Reid has the continuity of the offense in Kansas City. He's been there so long. But most teams, I, I think Kyle Shanahan is the most tenured offensive coordinator in the NFC because they don't have an offensive coordinator. It's basically Shanahan's offense. The Patriots have that coaching infrastructure. And as you mentioned earlier, I mean, it's not just Belichick. I mean, we have to view Josh McDaniels as a plus in that column as well. Who is also striving to make a name for himself outside of the shadow of Bill Belichick and probably wanting to get creative. I mean, this is also an opportunity for both of these coaches to rebrand themselves away from the particular type of quarterback that they were deploying quite successfully, obviously, for the past, you know, decade plus, 15 years. So um, I also think, you know, and I just want to address this quickly. There's, on the last episode I did with Matt, we talked a lot about the C word, culture. And so I'm, you alluded to it a little bit about Cam Newton getting his head straight. There were reports that Cam's personality might be more than other locker rooms or other coaching stabs, franchises, et cetera, would want to deal with. And, you know, you think about the Patriot way and what that means and do your job and no days off and all of that stuff. And you don't necessarily automatically think about Cam Newton being symbiotic with that. But I also feel like I just was remembered and remember when Martellus Bennett was coming into the Patriots 
And there was the similar sort of talk. Like, I don't know. He's out there. He's a big personality. Well, I got to know Marty quite well. He and I are, are friends. And Bill Belichick doesn't care about what you do. This is something that Marty would say all the time. Bill Belichick does not care if you want to, like he did, illustrate graphic novels. Whatever you're doing off the field, as long as you know your playbook, as long as you're there to win. And no one can tell me that Cam Newton isn't one of the most competitive players in the league, especially now when he's got a quite a bit of humble pie you would imagine to eat. Again, a great reason. Why, first of all, I'm with you on Bennett, just one of my favorite all-time players and just a really smart, thoughtful person who always has something interesting to say. I mean, he's um, just been one of my favorite players of the last 15 years, and it was fun the brief time he was in New England. Yeah, Belichick, if, you know, if, you're, if you're a pro in the facility, he's going to let you have a personality. And again, you know, some of the guys I mentioned earlier, Corey Dillon, Rodney Harrison, Randy Moss, these guys all had – I guess some emotional baggage coming to New England fairly or unfairly. And, you know, all Dylan did was, you know, he was unbelievable passer in, in, in pass pro. And, you know, he, he was willing to take on a heavy workload of carries was never a problem. Never missed any meetings, never missed any practices was a total pro there. I mean, they sing folk songs about Rodney Harrison, about how well he fit in to the Patriots scheme. And, and, you know, Moss, they were always talking about when they had Moss. I mean, obviously the numbers were there, but Belichick and, and, Tom Brady, we always talk about how smart Moss was, how he understood what everybody's role was on a play, and, and he could break it down as well as the quarterbacks could. I, you know, they just love the way Moss – I think Moss wanted to be coached. Moss wanted to be in a system where certain accountability you – know, I think maybe the, the thing with Oakland is maybe the, the mindset there was just a little bit too laissez-faire and it wasn't professional enough. And I think a lot of times these guys come and they say, you know what, I want to be – on a team where there are rules because we're, we're trying to be is we're trying to bring out the excellence in, in the guy next to me. And I, I just think this is going to be a really good fit. I think Newton's going to have a solid year in new England. And I think he's going to the right place at the right time to the right culture at the right time. And I have no worries that, that Newton is going to show up and be a pro. I, I don't have any doubt that he's going to do that. So then let's get back to talking fantasy strategy. The comp that everybody is making, right, is like, well, if you're drafting Josh Allen in the top seven to eight quarterbacks because of his mobility, the cheat codes being in his legs, um, and you're not put off by his inaccuracy, then the same must be true of Cam Newton. Obviously, there's an age difference. There's a durability difference. Um, but if you're looking at style of offense, you know, big defense, even division, there's certainly some overlap. Now I will ask you, where are you drafting Cam Newton yourself? Or where are you ranking him? You know, I'm still kind of marinating on that. I, I will say this. He's not going to be a top 12 quarterback for me. He's not somebody I, I want to have in a standard league. He would be my fun upside. Maybe this will work. Maybe it won't work back up. Um, which, to be fair, is where I'm drafting Roethlisberger, you know, where I was drafting Jimmy Garoppolo before the Debo Samuel injury. Now, maybe I, I have to take Garoppolo down a few pegs. I think there's a case for Newton to push his way back into the top 10 in scoring, but I'm not going to draft him like I'm assuming that. So if, if somebody's going to look at him and immediately think, oh, you know, everything the Patriots touch turns to gold, which is certainly not true. But if, if somebody's going to take a really positive tack with Newton, they'll probably rank him higher or more aggressively than I will. I would like, in a standard league, I would like him to be the second quarterback I take. If I was in a super flex league, I'd want him to be my quarterback too. Um, I, I'd like to have some wiggle room there. I'd like to, I'd like 
to have the upside of him, but not be beholden because I don't think there's any floor here with how much he's been hurt the last couple of years. Well, and again, when you mentioned the depth, it just feels like you don't need to make this move. You don't have to make this. There are other options available. Um, I ranked him aggressively and as my QB 11. I am assuming health. We will be, I will be proven right or wrong, but I felt like I was making that rank, assuming that he was back to health when you mentioned the rest that factored into my decision. I interestingly ran a poll on Twitter yesterday right after the news broke asking how many uh, people were brave enough to rank Cam ahead ahead of Brady now for the record. I have Brady at 10, Cam at 11, so not me. Um, And 63% of the the tweet of the people on Twitter uh, responded with no and 36 said me. So 36 percent of the of my Twitter followers are in favor of Brady being ranked behind Cam. Everybody else says Brady. Yeah, I want I want to say one other thing about Brady. When when the Patriots signed Newton, there was a reopening of this whole and I'm really kind of tired of it. You know, what what did the Patriots know about about Brady? Were they happy to get rid of him? Was Brady did he run out of New England screaming and all this stuff? Sometimes things end for logical reasons. I, I think it was perfectly reasonable that the Patriots looked at Brady entering, entering his age 43 season. Brady wanted a two-year contract, and the Patriots said, okay, you know, we can't justify signing a quarterback at age 43, which he'll be before the season starts, to a two-year deal. But I also think it was reasonable for Brady to think, okay, I'm at a point in my career, I need a lot more help on offense. Okay, you know, Edelman's a nice player, White's a nice player. Edelman, of course, you know, into his mid-30s now. I need to go somewhere where they have plus plus weapons, plus pieces. You know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin looks pretty good. Maybe they can get OJ Howard going. They have a lot of talent on that offense that just New England doesn't have. And yeah, you know, we hope that Harry pops, or we hope they can figure something out in that backfield. But I think Brady thought, okay, I need to go somewhere where there's more help. And the Patriots thought we need to get younger at this position. I mean, whatever you think of Cam in the bag, and she's carrying. He's 12 years younger than Brady. They've just gotten 12 years younger well, at the position. Well, and they also, got, they also got Cam at a, at a one-year deal. So if it doesn't work out, fine. You know, if it works out, then you, they'll, get the compens- they'll get the compensatory pick. They can trade him or they can re-sign him themselves you know, to obviously a much bigger deal. I mean, remember a year ago, it would have been crazy that, you know, Ryan Tannehill, when, he's never going to make $100 million for the rest of his NFL career. You know, that story can change in, in just a few months. Uh, I think New England and Brady, I think it's just the Patriots had a different set of immediate goals than Brady did. And I think both people, both New England and both Brady got to go to a situation that makes more sense for them. Absolutely. Things run their course. I also think that Tom Brady was saying, I have taken a hometown discount for the length of my career and I have six rings to show for it. However, pay me. I want the money. I have been the face. I have done what you asked. I don't eat, you know, the bottoms of bananas. I would like a little bit of cheese in return, of lettuce in return. And that didn't work financially. And so you're right. Brady looked at options and said, Bruce Arians, he has a reputation for working with quarterbacks. There are an amazing, uh, there are amazing pass catchers at my disposal here. This team might have to drag me if I need being, if I need to be dragged. Um, my concern with Brady is that I, I'm just not confident that in a year of COVID, and I talked about this already, that offensive lines are going to stay healthy. And I don't want a 43-year-old signal caller who has never been an exceptional scrambler behind an O-line that could potentially get wiped out in in one to what, however many nose swabs. 
so um, I, I am all this year prioritizing mobile quarterbacks because of the COVID implications. And that is what tempted me about Cam Newton. Though, again, when you look at Chris Godwin and the trio that uh, Brady has at his disposal, that wasn't quite enough to push it over the Newton edge. Um, you know, one thing that Brady always got to enjoy in New England, and, and Newton won't get the benefit of this, is the Patriots just had the retirement of Darte Skarniecki, who was their longtime offensive line coach. And, and in a lot of minds of, of NFL people, they think he might have been the best offensive line coach in history. He was just there forever. And there were so many years, you think back to 2014, the Patriots went to Kansas City. They got annihilated. They couldn't block. Brady, Brady got beat up that game. I think they may have actually pulled him for his own safety late in that game. And it, it just looked like maybe the Patriot dynasty was kind of over. And they fixed the offensive line. And you know, a lot of times people just knee-jerk give that credit to Belichick. And I'm sure he has his fingers and everything there. But uh, Skarniecki was a miracle worker. He didn't know, he couldn't, he kind of ran out of miracles last year. Too many people got hurt. And that line, especially the interior rush that drives Brady nuts because he, you know, he doesn't move very well. You, right. If you get under Brady's feet, you can really make him ineffective. I think he's going to miss Skarniecki. And as you said, it's incumbent on, on Tampa Bay to keep him upright and to keep him comfortable. And if, Football in 2020 is going to lead to a, a lot of messy offensive line play. That's a good way for Brady to get tripped up, no matter how good the receivers are on that team. When we're looking at that second tier of players, I think we're all in pretty much agreement who the top 12 you know, guys. You're starting with Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, and you're ending with some combination of Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Tom Brady. Those, those are the lower QB1 fantasy options. We now have another tier with Cam of possibilities in that middle-ish section. When you're talking about Roethlisberger, who you are higher on, Aaron Rodgers, um, Daniel Jones, Jimmy Garoppolo. Who of these, which of these players, I should say, are you prioritizing? Whether you do feel like, again, because of, of COVID, adding a backup quarterback in a regular redraft league, or you're playing in a super flex or two QB league. Like, who is the old? Give me your top three QB twos, realistically speaking, where they would, you know, you can't just say like, oh, I would love, you know, Carson Wentz and Matt Stafford, because you're not going to get that. I do think it's possible Stafford might be drafted outside the top 12 quarterbacks. So if you can get that, maybe you can't, I'd be in on that. But I, I agree with you that I think mobility is a good thing to, to get. I'm intrigued by Daniel Jones. I mean, he's got to fix that fumbling problem, the ball security. But I really like the pieces he's working with, and he has a running back who can catch the ball as well. I think Joe Burrow is going to be good right away. I don't know if A.J. Green necessarily has that much left, but I think Tyler Boyd is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. They have a true bell cow and Joe Mixon. I think T. Higgins fits that team really well. I, I, I think the Bengals are going to be a fun 6-10. and 10. They're not going to be good but they're going to allow a lot of points. They're going to be chasing the game. I think they could have the kind of that carnival potential that we saw in Tampa Bay and a couple other teams. This is going even deeper. This is outside the top 20. I think Jaguars defense is going to be horrible. Minshew can run a little bit. DJ Chark, I think is a star. I like the support receivers in Jacksonville. I think there's something there. And even though I'm not sure that Teddy Bridgewater is necessarily a great player, McCaffrey stud, DJ Moore stud, I think Curtis Samuel's a lot better than we saw last year. And and now that the quarterback play presumably should be better than a hurt Cam Newton and a mediocre Kyle Allen. I think Bridgewater's a step up from those guys. You know, Newton, of course, wasn't healthy. And you, you got a really intriguing uh, you know, person taking over that offense. I think Carolina, again, the defense is going to make them 4-12. and 12. 
but I think they're going to have a lot of up-tempo second halves, and there's going to be a very narrow usage tree there where you could easily see another 100 catches for McCaffrey. DJ Moore probably do a little bit positive touchdown regression. He's just a fantastic player. And I think Samuel, you know, a lot of people thought Samuel was the better pick than Moore last year. Now, nobody's going to say that now, but I think you can buy at a mild discount on Samuel, get a really good deal. I'm going to have Bridgewater shares. I'm going to have Minshew shares. I mean, we're talking best ball. We're talking uh, two quarterback or super flex. Those are some guys that I think are interesting in parks. I just think the, the carnival atmosphere that we saw in Tampa Bay could maybe overlap to those teams. I agree with you on Joe Burr. I find the Bengals to be a fascinating team this year. Where do you stand on the Joe Mixon debate? There's certainly been some who have said, Eh, he's never been it. He's not going to be it. I look at what he was able to accomplish last year, which was miraculous given the dearth of possibility at him. You know, I mean, he's just, there was no room to run. He wasn't used particularly effectively. I think when you have T. Higgins, who, by the way, has been working out with TJ Hushamanzada, a Bengals alum, obviously, and Hush, and you're right, grain of salt, but Hush said that. You know, this was before the draft. This was pre-combine. Who's just saying this kid is the next A.J. Green? And it looks like Cincinnati listened because he seems to have been drafted in mind as the heir apparent to A.J. Green. I think he could pop early. He is going to have a couple of double-digit touchdown games. I don't know when they're going to happen, but they will happen. It wouldn't surprise me if he has a Darius Slayton-esque season this year that Slayton had last year. Um, But... Mixon, to me, this whole offense is different. What Mixon has done previously, I don't think, you know, the the comparison is Kenyon Drake or Joe Mixon. And I feel like we give all this benefit of the doubt to Kenyon Drake. Like, oh, well, he wasn't used well. And and look what he did in David in replacement of David Johnson. And the offense is lit. The field stretchers and spread and Ken and his house and the real estate. Oh, my God, it's amazing. Well, I mean, Kenyon Drake has produced for two damn months over his entire career. Give me two Decembers. I'm not saying I don't, I'm not saying I'm not aggressive um, about his potential, but I also feel like the same benefit of the doubt needs to be paid to Mixon uh, in the reverse, that the offense was nothing, that Zach Taylor is now in his second season. This is a different offense. Zach Taylor, let's remember, comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree. He was a court, he was Jared Goff's quarterback's coach. He can talk to a young quarterback and Joe Burrow, to some scouts, comps similarly to Jared Goff. So I think there's a lot of fun potential, not just in IRL football, but also in immediate fantasy impact right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm pro Bengal. Uh, they're one of the teams I can't wait to watch play. I don't know that we'll have any kind of a meaningful preseason, so it might be a matter of the real reveal doesn't come until week one. But um, I think you need to give Taylor another year. And I, I believe in Burrow. I, I really like his makeup. I think he's coming to the league as a very mature. I mean, I think it helps probably that he has that extra year in college. I think he's maybe more pro ready than a lot of guys are. And they have a lot of pieces with Mixon. Mixon was running uphill for two years. They had everything go wrong with their offense for two years. And he was still a productive fantasy player. And now maybe they'll get quality quarterback play if they get anything from Green. It's hard to say what they will get from Green. But just having him on the field and, and running some intermediate and deep routes would really help that team out. I think I'm going to be invested in this offense. I think I'm going to have a lot of different pieces. In the case of Mixon particularly, if I'm drafting anywhere in the second half of the first round, he'd be one of the two or three guys I'd be targeting. Out of curiosity, are you targeting if you are in, you know, post pick six, 12 team league? Um, are you waiting on wide receiver and absolutely taking a Nick Chubb or a Joe Mixon 
there instead, or or will you try to get a Devonte Adams? You know, I hate saying this because I think Adams is going to have a huge year. Now, granted, he's right now the his ADP is wide receiver too, so it's it's not like I'm going on a limb with that. <laughs> um, but I didn't see Michael Thomas for a reason. The problem is if you don't take a running back in the first round, you're going to hate your running backs. Now that doesn't always have to be predictive. You can hate your, you can hate a part of your team in July or August and it can, you can ultimately fix it, but I'm going to be one of those people who one of my first two picks is going to be a running back. And if I can find two running backs that make sense, I'll start with two running backs. The thing with receiver is that you'll never feel that bad about your receivers. If, even if you wait a couple of rounds, you can get really good receivers. There's just so many of them cluster together. And if you take one in the second round, there's going to be three or four you're going to like. If you take one in the third round, there's going to be like six guys that make sense. The fourth round, there's just like eight receivers that all make sense. You know, And then even if you kind of ignore it, you may find in the fifth or sixth round a, a Tyler Boyd or um, Jarvis Landry. Terry or, McLaurin. Know, I, I love – I mean, I'm going to make it really simple. Terry McLaurin. Draft Terry McLaurin. Have oh, Terry McLaurin interests in your fantasy portfolio. I love that guy. The season he had with everything going wrong around him, I know, I know every once in a while they had some veteran quarterback play with Keenum, but he is a stud. He is a fantastic player, and I, I already have a, a fair amount of, of times where I've rostered him, and, I, and I'm going to keep doing that as much as I can. Now, there's so many good young receivers that can kind of cluster together, and it's, it's easy to – I mean, a lot of people are into Deontay Johnson, and you know, we talked about Slayton earlier who had a big year, and McCole Hardman didn't get a lot of opportunity in Kansas City, but man – that guy is ridiculous. That guy is just a He's human like joystick. He's like the better Will Fuller. He's the more reliable Will Fuller. Give I hope, I hope they can Will get him Fuller. on the field for like even 80 targets. I DK Metcalf, right? Look how great he was looking at the end of the season. And and now it's a question of Metcalf or Lockett. You know, I, I see some people prefer the Metcalf side of that. I still lean Lockett, but to me, they're linked. It's almost like when one of them gets drafted, you know, the other guy is going to be the next pick or the pick after that because they're going to go around the same time. So there's a lot of there's a lot of good choices here. We're in a really good bagel shop or a really good donut shop. You're going to have a lot of different things you could go home with. Please just promise me you will roster Terry McLaurin a few times this year. I'm, I'm imploring everybody to do that. I, I love his current ADP. It's fantastic. I don't get it. I, 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 I the fact that there's a lot of options, so you can get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But I I think he is a tremendous value, fantasy value right now. Fantastic. All right, let's. Um, so you, we talked about running back and we keep talking about running back and how after what round three, it becomes a little bit like scorched earth. Tight end has always been one of the other most volatile positions um, because of productivity, right? Like, I don't know what a player does on a week to week basis that qualifies him or he qualifies him as the tight end 12 overall is not particularly fun. Right? It's like five catches. That's it, you know. Um, if you're lucky, four to five catches and forty to sixty yards, and you can you too can be a starting fantasy tight end. But Evan Ingram is a player that people are talking about now, and I know that this is a, a phrase coined by our friend and colleague over at the NFL Network, Marcus Grant. Best season of his lifetime, best shape of his life, best shape of his lifetime. Um, He's posting videos on Instagram, working out, looks healthy, coming off of another Liz Frank injury as well. He's currently the tight end six. You want to, how you, because there have been plenty of times I'm seeing him, especially in the Scott Fishbowl, where I'm doing a couple of Scott Fishbowl mock drafts and there's some tight end premium scoring and I'm super tempted because he just keeps dropping and dropping. 
And yet, oh, it's hard for me to pull the trigger because ultimately I like Darius Slayton's red zone potential more. Yeah, I mean, Ingram, he's been hurt just about his entire career and hasn't had a lot of touchdowns. Now, on one hand, you love a tight end who they treat as a jumbo wide receiver and, and gets flexed out a lot and gets put in the slot a lot and isn't forced to take out the garbage, or do the trash, do the dirty work. So that, that's a plus in his favor. But well, he can't. He can't do it. No, like, no, you, re- you really can't ask him to do that. But they still have Tate. They still have um, they still have Slayton. They still have um, I'm, I'm blanking on the third receiver they Sterling have there. Shepherd. But it's good Shepard, Sterling Shepard, of course. I think with tight end, if I don't go for a, a vanity tight end, you know, for one of the superstars, you know, the Ertz, the Kittle, the the Kelsey. Uh, I think Mark Andrews has has forced his way into that tier too. If I don't dip into that, which I'm probably not going to. I think I'm probably going to wait it out. Maybe there's been some times where Tyler Higby makes sense. And I know a lot, there's a lot of polarization with him because some people say, and I, I tend to say, well, he went crazy for five games. Other people say, well, yeah, but he wasn't even their primary tight end before that happened. And only if Everett doesn't get hurt, maybe Higby never even gets a chance to shine. But I think maybe that genie doesn't go back in the bottle, but there's so many tight ends. I like after tight end 10, I, I think Gusecki's really interesting. I think Hawkinson's really interesting. I think Johnny Smith, who's still, I think, just 24 years old. Finally, he has that full-time gig, and, and Tannehill will be the starter all season. I think he is an interesting upside. Um, maybe I'll talk myself into a Green Bay tight end again and take some Jay Sternberger, although when's the last time Aaron Rodgers and a tight end made any kind of music together? But there's so many interesting upside stocks later in the draft that I don't think the middle of the tight end market is where I'm going to shop that much. What about Hayden Hurst? Like him, I wish it wasn't a 2020 Hayden Hurst. I'd like to be seeing him you know, get those Matt Ryan reps, although maybe he may have been actually hanging out with Ryan and doing some work, which I'd like. Of course, Ryan and Hooper always had that great meld, and, and whenever plays would break down, I mean, Ryan loved flipping the, the seven-yard pass to Hooper. We love it in PPR. You know, that seven-for-75 game is gold in PPR, and that team could have a really narrow tree. I don't trust Gurley. I, uh, you know, Julio's great. And it, we know that um, a lot of people are, are expecting a breakout from um, why am Calvin I? Calvin Ridley. Yeah, Calvin Ridley, of course. I mean, he's, he's people are trying to kind of force him into that Chris Godwin suit. I'm not sure it exactly fits. I think Gage is interesting as their third receiver. If you're just looking for a late PPR uh, best ball pick to catch 65 or 70 passes, I think maybe that's in his range of outcomes. But they want Hurst to play. Remember, he does have first round pedigree. I know he came into the league at elder age was drafted before Lamar Jackson. I, I'm not sure. He, he could probably always dine out on that, right? I mean, look, the Ravens needed me before they needed their quarterback. but Or Mark Andrews. <laughs> what, what a stud Andrews is. Man, you know, that's why I wonder, when I wonder if Baker Mayfield is really all that or not, I look at who he was throwing to, throwing to Mark Andrews, throwing to C.D. Lamb, throwing to Hollywood Brown. And, and, and by the way, I, I know there's a – the bandwagon is overflowing with Hollywood Brown, but save me a seat on it. There's somebody I will definitely be drafting this year. Um, just, he, he was a hurt all last year, and he still was pretty good when he was on the field. I, I can't get enough of Brown. But, um, yeah, I see it for Hurst. The, the problem is I think the market is so happy for Hurst that whatever the value was two months ago, I just think now you have to pay an expectant price on him. I'm not saying I won't do it, but it was a, a lot more fun two months ago when he was like tight end 19 or tight end 21. That, I think that's out the window now. I also think it's a little too plug and play. It's a little too neat with a bow on top. Mina Kimes 
released that report, and I think this is what you were referencing, that Hearst was driving from his home, I believe, in Jacksonville, northern Florida, to uh, Atlanta to train with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan said some superlative things about Hearst, and now all of a sudden, he's the new Austin Hooper. Dirk Cotter, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Dirk Cotter really likes using the tight end position. So now you can just copy and paste uh, Hooper's stat line from 2019 and give it to Hearst. And I think you're right that the continuity argument here is something that when I see his stock rising, I'm more hesitant. I, pr- I prefer someone like Johnny Smith. I'm taking him virtually everywhere. I'm intrigued by Blake Jarwin. I want to run the numbers a little bit more. This is the time that I wish we had like mini camps or, or you know, some, some more off-season activity. It wouldn't be such a leap of faith, but I am, you know, if we're taking someone late, a little bit interested in playing around. I love Gusecki as well. Um, but Johnny Smith and Gusecki are the two places I'm constantly going, and I'd rather wait on them than, yes, like, assume that Evan Ingram is going to be what he was years ago. And let's be honest, Evan Ingram was able to do his rookie year what he did because his target volume was so inflated since OBJ wasn't on the field. And that's just, I just don't think you're going to have that same kind of, to use it, to borrow a phrase from you, narrow passing tree, narrow target tree. Right. I mean, again, we talked about the three receivers she has to to share targets with. And I didn't even mention Barkley, who is, you know, he's going to catch 65 or 70 passes too. So there's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. Ah, I also remember what I was going to say about Atlanta. I agree with all your points about Atlanta. You mentioned Russell Gage, and for people who are not, who are out on Todd Gurley, nervous about Todd Gurley, if and when Todd Gurley gets hurt, that is the moment to pick up Russell Gage, because then I think you're going to see Gage's target volume increase, because, you know, the best thing about Gurley is volume, because we know he can pass and catch, he has the dual threat ability, and I don't think, um, I I think you're going to see more of that action move towards Gage if Gurley isn't serviceable. I think there's a lot of 45 pass games in Matt Ryan's uh, logs coming this year and again a team with a sketchy defense their season is almost entirely played indoors which always helps so I, I think the falcons are going to give us a lot of fantasy goodness even if the team isn't all that good all right let's end on one note that you've been thinking about whether it's this weird completion of the qb carousel that has occurred from new england to tampa bay to new orleans to carolina back to new england adam rank posted a a visual of that um, on Instagram and it's kind of stuck with me all day, but what is something you want to end on? Like something that struck you. I don't care if it's fantasy football related or life re- related, go for it. Play Superflex this year. We were just talking about all these quarterbacks we like after the top 12 and, and even quarterbacks who might be drafted after, after the top 20 rather than being one of those leagues where there's like 11 serviceable guys on the waiver wire every year, Play in a super flex league, then it's you know, it's basically a two quarterback league, but you're not totally screwed if you have a week where you don't have the two starters. And then what happens when you play super flex? All of a sudden, Lamar Jackson kind of makes sense in round one. Maybe Patrick Mahomes goes around two, and your first round is your early, you know, your top twenty five picks aren't going to be just that cattle call of running backs. If you can, if you can add, you know, maybe an extra tight end or have some tight end premium scoring. Fiddle around. This is something that Scott Fish does every year with his league where he has unusual settings. And what it does is it makes every first round of every draft a little bit different. It's not like you could look at at drafts right now and and the first 12 picks look almost interchangeable, the exact same thing. Okay, this guy preferred Kamara to Cook. This guy preferred Cook to Kamara. Fine. But then the next five guys were all the same. 
mm-hmm. play super flex, add, add maybe the extra receiver starter, add a, you know, some tight end premium, whatever it is. Let's have some fun with it. Let's have more guys to root for. And let's make those early rounds more dynamic and, and give people more paths to roster construction. I love that advice. I've been, I think you were with me when I did my first ever auction super flex draft uh, in Vegas a couple of years ago. Um, and I think if 2020, and I said this on last week's pod, has taught us anything, it's that this is an opportunity for all of the not great stuff that is going on. Um, if there's an opportunity to get uncomfortable, there is also an opportunity to grow. So no, I don't know what's going to happen with football season. I don't even know what's going to happen with making plans for Christmas or getting my kids to school, but there is some, some not comfort, but some opportunity in not knowing. So I don't know if Cam Newton's foot is going to hold up, but you know what? I am taking leaps of faith because we have to get uncomfortable and grow. And that is what I am hoping, whether it's playing super flex or tight end premium or some new fangled scoring system that you have yet heard of, or maybe jumping from an eight person team to a 10 person team to a 14 person team or engaging in dynasty keeper, whatever it is, but allow yourself, especially in moments that are supposed to be hobbies and activities that are supposed to be entertaining to grow, even if it means maybe failing, maybe not being the best, but ultimately learning something from. That's the whole key to life is you can't be afraid to fail or look silly because then you're not living at all. And you'll, you'll never get the glorious feeling of letting the hands off the bike. You know, and, and that's what that's what freedom is, is, is not being afraid, not living afraid, you know, not living afraid to, to screw up or look dumb or whatever, because you're trying something new. Agreed. Well, thank you, Scott. This was new for us because we hadn't worked for, with each other in a while. I really enjoyed it. Programming note, we'll be back Thursday. Andy Behrens will be here talking with a few sports and medicine specialists about uh, the coronavirus and various injuries. Side note, I have a new series called Rust versus Rest that I am working with. Um, a doctor, Dr. Alex Weber, an orthopedic surgeon and team doctor at University of Southern California. My first article about Big Ben was published live to the website, yep, Yahoo Sports, uh, today. So please, if you're interested in the medical piece of this, check that series out. You can subscribe to the Yahoo Fantasy MLB podcast with our very own Scott Pianowski. You guys are back. You and Hannah doing great stuff. You and Hannah Kaiser. I love to see that. And you can sign up for fantasy football on Yahoo right now. We have standard leagues. We've got best ball. Get uncomfortable. Grow. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. And that is at Scott underscore Pianowski. And we're out for now. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, where our current focus is on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, as well as the 2020 elections. Subscribe and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.